The following message was given by Demetrius White on Sunday, August 26th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. We're continuing in our series called The Mixtape, and uh, we as pastors have sought to convey how the Lord has been working through our lives through certain verses, chapters, and themes from the Bible. And we have sought to encourage you uh, as Christians on how to live the normal Christian life and how God is at work for your joy and His glory. Last week we talked about the importance of the Word of God and its relevance in the Christian life. And this week I want to talk to you about the believer's relationship to sin and what we must do to mortify, put to death, or kill the remaining motions of sin in our lives. Dear ones, what I want us to understand this morning is this. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, I want you to understand at least this. Is that the power of sin has been broken in the lives of believers. We have been translated from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. However, we, although we have been free from the power of sin, the presence of sin remains with us. Sin was once our Lord. It called the shots, but now it has become a great antagonist. So we come to the word today to hear the truth concerning what it has to say to us as believers about sin. I want us to look at Romans 8 today, and I want us to look upon it, to gaze upon it, to meditate upon it. And I want to be open this morning. I want to be very practical and transparent. So let's turn to Romans 8 and look at verses 12 through 17. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. In relation to our text this morning, I'd like to cover three points. The first point I would like to cover with you is this, the necessity of killing sin. Why the believer must deal radically with sin why they must take this task seriously. Number two, our help in killing sin or the power that has been given to us to kill sin. This talks about the source of victory over sin. Verse 13. And then I want to talk to you about using our identity and an inheritance as a means to killing sin which is found in verses 14 through 17. So, let us look at our first point this morning, the necessity of killing sin, or why the believer must kill sin. I want you to notice this little phrase here in verse 12. 
This little phrase is very small, but it's very potent. This little phrase is, so then. So then, and what Paul is trying to do here, he's, un- he's trying to unravel the truth concerning the believer's battle of sin. But he's going to go back to verses uh, 1 through 11. He's telling us by virtue of what God the Father has done through the atoning work of his Son and the receiving of his Spirit, he wants to remind them of their new status, their new position, their new principle, their new direction, and their new desire. Verse 1, he reminds them of their new status. He reminds them that those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ, there will be no condemnation to them. Jesus has taken their sin, and because he has taken their sin, he who knew no sin became sin for them, and they will never suffer the wrath of God. There will be no condemnation to them. In verses 2 through 3, he talks to them about their new position. We were once heirs of sin and death, but by virtue of Christ's work, the Spirit frees us from the power of sin and death. In verse 4, he talks to us about our new direction. We were once children of wrath following the course of this world, enslaved to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. However, because of the great work of Christ and God's sovereign call, we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his dear son. And then in verses 5 through 11, he talks to us about our new desire. He tells us that the Spirit works in us to change our nature, and we have been made new creatures in Christ. In Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, Ezekiel gives us a picture of what regeneration looks like. God takes the stony heart out of us, and he gives us a heart of flesh that can feel. He gives us the desire to obey his word. So Paul then comes once again, or he's coming to this verse that we're looking at this morning in verse 12, and he says, so then. What is Paul saying? He's saying because of this new direction, because of this new status, this new position, this new desire, that we don't owe the flesh anything. And that begs the question, what is the flesh? Well, it's not your physical body. It's not your physical body in this context. The flesh means a principle, a law, or the motions of sin with its passions or desires that are against the commands and nature of God. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 gives us a view of sin in action. Paul is saying that because of what Christ has done and what the Spirit is doing in us and what he has done for us, we need not bow down, call truce, offer terms of peace, call a ceasefire, or give these sinful desires one morsel of satisfaction. He tells us why we must deal with sin. He gives us, why, he gives us the reasons or the necessity for killing sin. He gives us a motivation for killing sin, and that motivation is this. It only brings death. The great Puritan John Owen once said, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. What are you saying, Demetrius? Are you saying that the Christian can lose their salvation? Are you saying that they could perish eternally? No, I'm not saying that at all. Because if you read the rest of Romans, particularly going from 30 through 38, it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It says that with those whom God has justified, he will glorify. And although, Christian, your, your salvation is secure, sin still seeks to usher in death and destruction. 
Sin wants your peace. Sin wants your assurance. Sin wants your joy. Sin wants to destroy your marriage and eradicate the faith of your spouse and children. Sin wants your reputation. Sin seeks to use you in the grieving of the Holy Spirit and the provoking of God's discipline. Sin, pastors, wants to infiltrate and contaminate your life to such an extent that the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles because of you. Sin wants to cut your life short. What happened to the Christians of 1 Corinthians 11. What happened to them when they profaned the table, the Lord's table? Paul says, many of you are sick and some of you have even died. Consider David. Consider what happened to David. He received the highest commendation from God or the highest, uh, uh, highest praise from God. God said, listen, you, this guy, David, I like this guy. He's a man after my own heart. And although God eternally loved David, when he sinned, death came to him. David lost several children. Absalom, whom David loved and adored, wanted to kill him. In 1 Chronicles 21, when David sinned, 70,000 plus people were killed. There was an angel wrecking shop in Israel. And if it had not been for the hand of the Lord saying, stop, he would have decimated the whole place. Why? Sin. You see, the true believer will fight sin because they understand the necessity of killing sin. They don't make friends with it because men don't make friends with their enemies. They kill enemies. The true believer sees that sin, what sin wants to do, and that it wants to bring death. Why is sin so deadly? Sin is deadly because it assaults the law of God. Sin is a transgression of God's law. It is the breaking of God's good command. 1 John 5, 24 says that the commands of God are not burdensome. They are there for our protection and the protection of others. You know, when someone says, hey, man, the commands of God are burdensome, you know what I say? Which one is burdensome? The one that says you shall not commit adultery? Which one? The one that you shall not murder? Look at all of the babies that are being murdered. Look at all of the marriages that are being destroyed because of sin. They are there because of our protection. Sin says you shall have other gods, but the law says you shall have no other gods before me. We change God from a sovereign to a Santa to do our will. Sin changes the nature of God. The law says you shall not commit adultery. And we say, well, you know, Demetrius, well, you know, if I look a little bit, you know, if you look and, and you don't touch, that's okay. Jesus says to look upon someone, to lust after them, is to commit adultery. It, to, it is to assault the law of God. This is why sin is deadly. In sin, we cry out to God, we will not love God or our neighbor as ourselves. Sin is deadly. Sin is deadly because it is rebellion against God. Deuteronomy 9, 7. Rebellion is an act of, of violence or open resistance. Sin changes us in, or one into an enemy of God. The son of the morning, Lucifer, dazzled in all of his glory. He was a chief angel before the throne of God. And when he sinned, he was cast down from heaven. 
He, be, he went from being the son of the morning into Satan, an adversary of God. There is nothing that makes us look more like Satan than our sin and rebellion. And R.C. Sproul said that it is cosmic treason. treason. What did David say when he sinned against God? He said, against you and only you have I sinned. Sin is rebellion against God, and it cuts against the very grain of his nature and his character. Sin denies the all-sufficiency of God, as if it were not enough to be content and satisfied in him. Sin challenges the justice of God. It dares God to do his worst, Malachi 2.17. Sin says, where is the God of justice? Sin doubts justice. Sin disowns the omniscience of God. It says, it whispers to us, God does not see. Sin despises the goodness of God. It turns the grace of God into unrestrained lust. Sin is the rape of God's mercy, the dare of his justice, the mocking of his patience. Sin cuts against the grain of his very nature and character and seeks to un-God God. Let me ask you this question this morning. What good is there in sin? None. Only death. Sin will promise you like a God and pay you a devil's wage. Sin will promise you the world. It will promise you the blessings of God. And in the end, all it does is pay you a devil's wage. You want to know what a devil's wage is? Go to Matthew 25, 41. That's a devil's wage. I'm not going to even quote it to you. I want you to read it. I want you to meditate on it. That's a devil's wage. That's what it's going to pay you. Do you see sin in this light? It will incur the wrath of God. You, Christian, if you're truly a Christian, it will receive the discipline of God. Listen, have you read the book of Jeremiah? Have you read the book of Jeremiah? Have you read Ezekiel, particularly chapters 1 through 24? God isn't talking to some heathen nation. He's talking to his people. And the discipline that he meets out, to me, when I read that, it makes sin odious to me. I don't want any parts of that. It will incur the wrath and discipline of God. I was at work talking to one of my coworkers. We, we, we have a good time talking about the Word and Scripture. And they said this. Man, I tell you what, hell has to be dreadful because God isn't there. And I said, let me tell you, I wish that were true because there would be one measure of comfort if God was not there. But hell is hell because he is there. He is the judge, the jury, and the executioner of hell. Revelation 14.10, they are tormented in the presence of God and his holy angels. What does Psalm 139 say? If I make my bed in hell, you are there. Dear ones, I want to warn you this morning that God must and he will judge sin. I want to warn you this morning that you can only play marbles with God's diamonds but for so long. God will bring every sin to light. 
he will bring it before his judgment bench. He will judge you by the books, it says, the law. He will judge you by every idle word that you speak, gossip, lying. He will judge it all. He will judge you by his goodness. He will say, you have despised my goodness, this goodness that which, which should have led you to repentance, and you will be eternally condemned. If you are here this morning and you're not taking your sin seriously, you live for your sin. You love your sin. You see sin as an opportunity to die. You don't see it as death. You partake in its deceptive pleasures. Do you nurture your sin? Do you hide your sin? Do you cultivate your sin? Do you say, man, I'm not hurting anyone? Are you like Adam blaming others for your sin? Huh? Is your life a pattern of habitual sin and devotion to sin, undying devotion? Then I'm going to give you this axiom, this self-evident truth. If you continue that way, you will surely die and you will meet God in judgment. And if you do not repent and turn to Jesus Christ, it will be awful for you. And you know what? I got over this a long time ago. I said this in the first service. I got over this a long time ago. Because people ask me, how do you think sermon went? How do, you, how, how do people respond? And that's fine. I like when people respond. But guess what? I could care less if you don't say anything. You know why? Because I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I love you enough to know that I'm going to have to stand judgment before God and give an account for every word that comes out of this pulpit from my mouth. And I'm going to tell you the truth whether it hurts or not because a good physician will wound you to heal you. Do you live like this? Because if you do, you will surely die. The true Christian sees sin and calls it rebellion. They are not perfect. I am not saying the Christian is perfect, okay? We wouldn't have 1 John 1.9 in the Bible if Christians were perfect. But even John said, I wrote this book so that you would not sin. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Do you desire to follow Christ? Do you realize that this way is a narrow way, man? You cannot come through the narrow door with your sin. You can't come in loving your sin. Do you realize that? The true Christian does. And they understand the nature of sin. They understand what it is attempting to do and that it is bringing death. This is how I deal with sin in my personal life. I say, D, this thing, it's promising you the world. But there's death behind it. And this thing, nothing but death. In June, I was coming home from work. Raymond heard the story. I was coming home from work, driving in my Acura TL. Man, I love those TLs, man. They something else, man. I love that TL. So I was driving home from work. I make the same turn every day to get home. Same turn, without fail. 
put on my signal light, I put that bad boy on back by the airport. You know what I'm saying? Because I live on airport drive. I, I start the signal light so I, you know I'm turning, you know. And this man, they say he was on this, on, texting or something, right into my car, just plowed right into me. You know, I was fine. You know, I got out. Man, you okay? I checked the other guy. You okay, man? All right, everybody okay. All right. Everybody is okay. We're good. The cop comes. Hey, you okay? Yep, you okay? I'm okay, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. God is good. You know, Raymond, God works all things out according to the counsel of his will. You know. Then, last Sunday, I get done preaching here. I go out. My Acura's parked out there, my new one. Huh? I got another one, man. Y'all got to see. I got another one. Parked it right out there. I said, I'm going to park close to the door so I can get in because I was running a little late. I'm going to park close to the door. I'm going to run in here, come up to the pulpit and preach. Got out there, looked it over, hit the button, heard that little beep, beep, beep. You know what I'm saying? That sounds good. Everything's working. So I looked down at the tire and a nail this long sticking out of it. And Lord, the Lord is good. The Lord, this, this is me now. The Lord is good. Shelby sent me a text. I sent Shelby a picture of the, of the nail. Oh, man, I'm sorry to have. Nope, Shelby, the Lord, he's good. Okay? He's good. So I, you know, managed to get the car home, got, a, got, the, got the tire off, did, you know, fixed it, got the tire repair kit, man, drove it around a little bit, working, working fine, doing well. So the weekend's over. Everything's okay. Everything's fixed. Guess what happened to my new TL? I'm driving to go to work, and somebody T-bones my new TL. And that's when I said, hold up here. <laughs> you know, God, you, you, you know, this thing's saying you good, man. This thing is working on me now. <laughs> you know, I'm saying you good, but, I mean, this is, this is something is after me or something. What's going on? And I'm going to tell you the honest truth, man. I struggled. I was questioning God here. And I was really, really on the brink of just saying God is no good. What, 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 what are you doing? I was questioning his providence. And then the suggestions came. Oh, hey, look. Demetrius White, pastor, Redemption Hill Church, pastor. God's being hard on you. Why is God being hard on you? Huh? You're a pastor. This should not be happening to you. Maybe you've done something. So now I'm sitting there, Lord, what did I do? You know what I'm saying? Maybe you've done something. Huh? I mean, I'm struggling. And then it says this. What about so-and-so? You know so-and-so. So-and-so just told you they went to Cuba. You like to go to Cuba? They, don't went to, they went to Cuba, man. They went to the Bahamas. They don't even serve God. Here you are Sunday preaching. Here you are praying. Here you are reading. But you're telling other people to read the Bible, and they're going to Cuba. They're going to Barbados. What? You know, and I started to think about that thing. But you know what the Holy Spirit did? He brought Numbers 12. To my heart. He brought Numbers 16 to my heart. Numbers 12 is about 
Miriam's complaint against God. Number 16 is about Dathan and Abiram's rebellion against God and their complaints to God about Moses and the level of destruction that was meted out in their lives caused me to look at sin and confess once again, God is good. And all of our losses and crosses, he is at work. Not so that we can have all the money in the world, Romans 8, 29, so that we could be conformed to the image of Christ. And I've said this often from one of my favorite Puritans, Thomas Manton. God had one son without sin, but he has none without suffering. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered, Hebrews 5, 8. So why would it be different for me? Do you measure sin by this standard? Do you see it that Sin only offers you death. God is telling us this morning that it is a vital necessity. It is a serious task. We must be killing sin or sin will be killing us. But in this battle against sin, we are not left to, we're not left to ourselves. We have, our second point, power behind the killing of sin. We are not left to ourselves. We are given power to kill sin. Notice verse 14, but if, uh, verse 13, I should say. It says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Or let me go back. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The power for victory is through the Spirit of God alone. He dispenses power for the task. If you're going to know victory, you're going to have to know victory through the Spirit of God. And I want you to notice what Paul does not say here. He does not say, dear brother, if you want to mature. This, he's not saying, if you want to mature, you have to have a deeper life. You have to have a second blessing. And he does not say you have to let go and let God and have a surrendered life. He says, you, through the Spirit, Put to death the deeds of the body. He is telling us to kill sin with the Spirit. In regeneration, the Spirit of God works alone to convert us. In sanctification, He works with us. The Holy Spirit works in us and with us, not against us or without us. How does this work? I'm going to give you some practical things that I do in my own personal life in this battle with sin, my responsibilities and his power. So one of the things that I do, number one, is that I pray the promises of God for his grace. For his grace. I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, I need your help. You said in John 15, that I can do nothing without you. I just can't do it. I'm going to fail without you. But you said in your word that I am not under the law, but under grace. Therefore, sin shall not have dominion over me. Lord, please offer me grace today. And you've promised, Lord, in Titus 2, that your grace 
through the Spirit of grace, Hebrews 10.29, who is the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of grace will teach me to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Give you an example. Other day at work. Well, I should say when I started the job, everyone wanted to talk to me about this particular supervisor. Oh, listen, this guy's a beast, man. He's a monster. Watch out. I said, you know, I'm going to go in here like the book of Colossians says. I'm going to do my job as unto the Lord, Bray. I'm going to just go in here, and I'm going to do my job as unto the Lord. And I saw him stomping around. I mean, the guy was like a general. I mean, he was hollering and screaming and doing, you know. And I said, I'm going to do my job as unto the Lord. And God gave me grace to do that. The other day, he walks up to me, and he said, Mr. White, I need to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been watching you. He said, you're real quiet. But man, if I had 20 of you, he said, we would knock this stuff out in an hour. He said, you're one of the hardest workers I know. Keep up the good work. Grace. Grace. Through his word. And that's the second thing. We must cultivate a relationship with the word of God. You cannot fight sin. You will not mortify sin without the word of God. What does Ephesians 6, 17 tell us? The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword of the Spirit. You know what we do oftentimes? We, we take the sword and we throw it in that trunk. We take it and we leave it on the coffee table. And that's it. We, 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 do, we do something bad with it too. We, we take it. And we read our CBRs, and we leave it. We, we don't think about the Word of God for the rest of the day. You cannot mortify or kill sin without devouring this book. You can't do it. Remember the example I just gave you? The example of the car being hit. The Spirit of God said, D, here's my sword. Use it and put this sin to death. He brought Numbers 12. He brought Numbers 16 to me because I have been devouring the book. You cannot kill sin without this book. The third thing, we are to make no provisions for the flesh. Romans 13, 14. My wife was smiling at me when I said this at, at the 400 because I have been waiting for this series to come out on Netflix for at least two years. Man, you know, I love comic books. I mean, I, this is a comic book series, man. This thing was coming out, you know. So, and it's not the Power Man thing, so don't, don't you know, if, you, if you're watching that, I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you. It's not that. That's another one. So, this thing was coming out. And I said, man, I am so excited. I said, I'm going to go and look at the ratings on one of these Christian ratings sites. Went on there. Guess what I saw? Blaspheming God's name. Nudity. Cursing. Violence. Rape. Murder. You know what I said? I'm not watching that. I'm not watching that. You know, people think I'm crazy at work because when they want to talk about that stuff, I just say, I don't want to hear that. 
I know they think I'm a jerk sometimes. But you know what I'm doing? I'm making no provision for the flesh. And if you think that you can stay in the presence of these things and not be harmed, I'm going to tell you what sin's doing. It is speaking to you, and it is deceiving you, and it is hardening you at the same time. And you will end up somewhere you wish you never had been. Just like Samson. He didn't realize he was that hard. So you must not make provision for the flesh if you're going to kill sin. And this is our last point this morning. If you're going to kill sin, you must know or have a revelation of your identity and our inheritance. You must use these things as a means to kill sin. Let's read Romans 14 or 8 through 14 through 17. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Notice that. They are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as what? There it is again. Sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. There it is again. And if children, then what? Heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. I'm going to tell you this. I had an identity crisis when I was in elementary school. It was, it was pretty tough, man. I had this watch, this Star Wars watch, man. This thing was bad. I mean, this thing was navy blue. It had R2-D2 in it, Chewbacca. I mean, man, what's that other one? What's that other one, the, the, the golden one? C-3PO. There you go. Had C-3PO up in there. I mean, C-3PO was, was golden. I mean, that, they did a, a fine job with this watch. And I love this watch. So I loved it so much, man, that when we went out to recess, I would take this watch and I would put it in the back of my desk. I did that every day. But someone was was, was scouting. One day I went to my desk to get my watch, and guess what happened? It was gone. It was gone. Man, I was, I was terrified too because, you know, I was like, man, what? This is something. Man, someone stole my watch. But then it dawned on me that I am the son of Debbie Frazier. And you see, you don't know my mom. My mom's a real boss. My mom raised four boys. And see, I'm the smallest of my brothers. My brothers, all of my brothers, the, the shortest one out of me, I'm, I'm the shortest, but the shortest other one is like 6'2". All of them 6'4", they're big. My brother played defensive end. I mean, my son Aiden, he's, he, he has their features. He's a, he's a real monster. And he showed it on the football field yesterday. So, you know, I remembered that this is my mom. I'm a son. Why am I doing this? Why am I? You see, I was going to fight this kid. I was going to throw, I was going to throw the, you know, give him the two-piece and the biscuit, man. I was going to give it to him. Miss Bushrod said, hold up here. I had forgot. I was fighting this thing by myself. But I remembered. And I went home and I told my mom. And I'm telling you, once again, my mom's a boss, man. I thought I was going to get in some kind of trouble. And my mom didn't say anything. She just looked. 
And she said, okay. Next day, my mom was calling the school. She called Miss Bushrod. She talked to the principal. And I tell you what happened. Two days later, my mom walked into the lunchroom, just like this. And she came up to me and said, here's your watch. And she walked off. And I said, my mom, the real boss. <laughs> huh? She's a real boss. And it made me feel good. But you see, I'm a son. See, when you realize that you're a son of God, the son of the highest, and Satan and sin offer you a bowl of beans? Come on, man. Really? When I can eat filet mignon. You see, you must understand your identity. And for lack of time, I do not have the time to exhaust that. But your identity as a son of God will act as a means to mortify sin in your life and your inheritance. Notice it says here, you're heirs of God. I mean, you're not heirs of some millionaire here on this planet. I mean, you, you, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein, Psalm 24.1. I think it's in Haggai 2.8 or 2.6. It says, all of the silver and gold belong to God. Contrary to popular belief, it doesn't belong to the Rothschilds. Huh? It doesn't belong to the Rockefellers. It belongs to God. I was reading Revelation. I'll show you how this happened. I was reading Revelation, particularly chapter 3, and verse 21. Jesus says something so radical that if he had not said it, I, I, would, have doubt, I, I would doubt it. I would just be like, this is, this is crazy. He says, if you overcome, I'm going to let you sit down with me on my throne. He's talking about sharing authority with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. He says something even greater in Revelation 22, verse 4. He says, I'm going to do this for this is the greatest gift he will ever give you. I'm going to let you see my face unrestrained in all of his glory. Have you thought about that? He says in Revelation 21 and 22 that there will be no death. There will be no pain. There will be no Satan. There will be no temptation. Have you thought about that? You know, I have a son that's, that's in heaven right now. I have family members that are in heaven. I have a son. And one day, the thought of sitting around the throne of God and worshiping with my son, I tell you what, those things, to see Jesus. Man, I want to sit down with Jesus one day. And it might be a problem because all of you will be coming after him. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm not that smart. But I want to sit down with Jesus and have coffee with him. And you know what my prayer is going to be? He's going to already know. He'll probably laugh at me. But I'm going to just try to make sure I don't ask any stupid questions when I'm sitting with him. Jonathan Edwards says that heaven is a world of joy. It's a world of joy. You see, I use this to kill sin, to deal 
with sin. And if we want to see sin in all of its awfulness, we must look to the cross. And we must see the dark clouds of God's wrath. We must hear the Son cry, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? We must see him take the weight of our sin and the full weight of God's wrath and his curse for us to kill sin. And if you don't know Christ, that's what he has done for you, for everyone who would ever believe in him. He has taken their sin. And when you come to him, he will break the power of sin in your life. And by his spirit, he will continue to work with you to kill and to mortify sin. We must. If you're a believer, we must kill sin because it brings death. We must look to the Spirit because He gives us power to kill sin. And we must use our position as sons, and we must look to our inheritance as a means to kill sin. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people, Lord. I pray that you would apply the word of God to their hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Demetrius White given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.